Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open our Bibles and study how to serve our God. The lesson you're about to hear came from one of our second Sunday night question and answer sessions in which we take questions that have been pre-submitted to me and answer those as best we can from God's Word. As is always the case, and as you'll hear me say in the lesson, I recognize that I do not have all the answers, but God's Word does. So please listen with an open mind. And if you think I missed it on something, jot that down and let me know. Give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you can email us by contacting us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. All three of the questions that you're going to hear in this upcoming lesson have to do with women's issues, not only in the congregation, but also in the home. So take your Bible, open it up, and study along with us as we answer some Bible questions using the Bible. Tonight being the second Sunday night of the month, as is our custom here, we accept questions offered in by members of the congregation and guests, and I answer or try to answer biblically some of the questions that have been submitted. If you would like to have a question dealt with during this service at some point on some second Sunday night of the month, there is a form on the table that's right beside the door on your way out. You can fill that out and drop it in the appropriate box outside my office, and as time permits, and if it's appropriate, we'll deal with that uh, as, as we're able. Please make sure, put your name on there if you don't have any major qualms against that, because sometimes it may be that perhaps you missed the question, uh, missed that same question being answered at some earlier time, and I can let you know about it, or maybe I don't understand the question, or maybe it'll just be something that, that might be better dealt privately, and I can talk to you privately about that. So please make sure to put your name on that form. We have three questions tonight, all three of which deal with women's issues within the congregation. And the first two are very similar. We're going to be dealing with those pretty much about the, about the same time here as we answer these questions. The first two questions we're going to be dealing with tonight. Question number one, when a husband and wife are praying together, is it okay for the wife to pray out loud also? And the second question, is it scripturally correct for women to answer questions in a Bible class when men are present? Very important questions for us as we are striving to serve God and follow His pattern. I have no doubt that these two questions both stem from the two passages in the Bible that deal with this issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and that should say verse 34 through 35, says, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, the scripture reads, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. I recognize that neither one of these passages are very popular in our modern world and even in modern religion, but we need to remember that we're not here in order to be popular. We're not here in order to win prizes among our society. We're here to do God's things God's way. And we've got to learn to trust God that His way is best and His way is right. Even at times when we may not like His way or we may not understand His way. But these are passages that God has given to us to help us govern what goes on within Christ's body. And we need to learn what they say and we need to follow them. And so the question is, what do they say? 
Perhaps I should have, I put them on the board in order that you find them in Scripture, but perhaps I should have put them the other way, because I believe that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, a general principle, a general rule that governs Christ's body. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, I believe we find a specific application of that general rule. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we find what Timothy is talking about in the way to conduct ourselves in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, excuse me, what Paul was writing about how to conduct ourselves in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Paul is writing to let us know how we ought to conduct ourselves, how business ought to be conducted, how we as individuals ought to conduct ourselves within the body. This is not talking specifically about the assembly. This is talking about the, the congregation that assembles. And it says this is how you're supposed to conduct yourselves. And so in general what we find in the work of the church that there are roles given. And what Paul says in Timothy regarding the sisters is that sisters are supposed to live within the congregation in submission. They're not allowed to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. I think we need to notice that very last part there. This, Paul did not make this argument based on culture. Paul did not make this argument based on what was going on in his society at his time. Paul said this is the way it is because God made Adam first. Paul said this is the way it is because Eve was the one who was deceived. And as I read the Scripture, perhaps I'm missing it, but the way it seems to me is as long as we can say Adam was created first, then this rule applies. As long as we can say that Eve was the one who was deceived, then this principle regarding how to conduct ourselves in the church applies. And that doesn't matter what happens in what culture. That doesn't matter what changes in our political world. That doesn't take into account what, what changes in the business world. When it comes to Christ's church, as long as these two statements remain true, then the principle that Paul taught is one that we need to follow. And then we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 a specific example, an application of this rule. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is dealing with governing what goes on in the assembly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we have in verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church assembles... Verse 26, What's the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation. What this text is talking about is how we conduct ourselves right here. And what we're doing right now. That time when the church is coming together as an assembly, what's supposed to take place? Within the assembly, what this passage points out, among so many other things we're not going to be looking at tonight, but regarding the role of the sisters within this body, in the assembly, what it says is that, that you're not given the role to address the congregation. You're not given the role to be able to speak in a leadership position to the congregation in teaching, and you're not even to try to get around that by saying, well, really, I'm just asking a question. That's what Paul says when it comes to the assembly, and that's... And that's the rule. That's what we've got, and that's what we've got to follow. But what about the questions that we're dealing with? What about at home, when the wife and the husband are praying together? Is the wife allowed to say her prayers out loud along with the husband, or is that a violation of these passages? I want us to note, as we looked at both of these passages, they both had to do with what's going on in the church. 
Neither one of them have anything to do with what happens at home. In fact, interestingly, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, what it prohibits in the assembly, what's it say? It says the right place for that is at home. And so what it's saying in 1 Corinthians 14 that it can't be done in the assembly, it says can be done at home. As far as asking questions and learning and talking and studying with. Also, interestingly, we have another passage that I think plays into that question in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 24. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I recognize as we look at this text, it doesn't tell us exactly what happened. It doesn't say exactly what Aquila did or exactly what Priscilla did, but it is very clear that they did the teaching together. Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside. But I want you to notice, this was not within the work of the church. This was not in the assembly. This was something that was happening outside of that. Priscilla and Aquila were working together teaching outside. And so what I find here is that not only... Is the wife allowed to pray out loud in the presence of her husband, in the presence of her family, outside of the church and outside of the work of the church? We find that there's even room for teaching that she can do as she's involved in that. Certainly, in submission to her husband, we have rules and guidelines about, about the family and how it's supposed to work, and we don't throw that out the window. But as long as she's being in submission to her husband, we find here that speaking out loud about spiritual matters, praying, even teaching, was certainly allowed, and we see it happening in the Scripture. Is the wife allowed to pray out loud in the presence of her husband at home? I would say absolutely. Certainly, as I say with every answer to every question, I might miss it. If you believe I've missed it, let's talk about that sometime. Get together with me. I'd love to study. The second question is very similar. It deals with what, uh, what sisters are allowed to do in various contexts. What about in the Bible class setting? Are the sisters allowed to ask and answer questions in the Bible class discussion? First of all, let's take the first passage on the screen. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 34. That passage demonstrates just be silent. It says that in the assembly, to be silent, don't even ask questions. If you want to learn something, do it at home. It says go ask your husband at home. That's not the place in the assembly. But we need to remember something. And I believe this is often missed, and this is certainly missed in the, the fellowships that will not allow for Bible classes. And that is, is that a Bible class is not the assembly. When we break up and we take the Christians and we divide them off into other classes, that is not an assembly. The assembly is the meeting of the church coming together as the church. There are certain things that we can do under the auspices of the church, the work of the church, as we teach in other forums, but the Bible classes are not an assembly. Assembly is when we're all together in the same place, working and doing the same thing together, like we're doing now. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35 doesn't apply to that setting or to that scenario. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, we pointed out, however, deals not with the assembly, but with the work of the church. And it provides some guidelines for what should happen in the work of the church, in every aspect of the work of the church. And what it says is, is that the sisters in the work of the church are to be submissive 
to the brothers within that work. I recognize on the surface that this passage, especially at the part here where it says, but remain quiet, lends itself to the concept that even in classes, in every aspect of the work of the church, if men are present, women ought to be completely silent. However, I think when we dig a little bit deeper, we'll find out that is not what Paul is saying. The word that's translated remain quiet here is hesukia, which is a feminine form of a word that simply means silence or quietness. But interestingly, Peter used this very same word in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter, actually verse 4. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, Peter said, and he's now talking about the wife's role in the home. And there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, he used the same root word and he said, Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. The quietness here is not the idea of abject absolute silence. The quietness that's used here is talking about that concept of the spirit, the quietness of submission. One that is not boisterous, one that is not rebellious, one that is not obnoxious, one that is not trying to take over and have self-rule. We recognize in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, when it says that the wife is to have a quiet spirit, it doesn't mean she's not allowed to say anything at home. I believe we could make that same statement back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. What Peter is pointing out, what Paul is pointing out in 1 Timothy 2 is that sisters within the congregation are to be submissive to the brothers. In every aspect of the work, they're not to be boisterous, rebellious, obnoxious, self-rule. Very interestingly, though, who in the congregation is allowed to do that? Nobody, really. We're all supposed to be, as Paul has pointed out in other passages and the other writers, be submissive to one another. But what this points out is that within a class setting, within any aspect of the church, the sisters are not given the role of leadership. They're not given the role of authority. They wouldn't be teaching a class in which men are present. But to ask and answer questions, so long as it's done in submission to those who are present, would certainly be allowed by both of these passages. And therefore, I believe that yes, sisters are allowed in a Bible class setting where men are present to ask and answer questions, so long as it's done in submission to the brethren, to the leaders within the congregation. And that should be the governing principle for everything done within the work of the congregation. It's supposed to be done with a quiet spirit and gentleness, with submission to those who are leading over us, as really everyone in the congregation is supposed to be doing. Again, if you believe I've missed something, I'm more than happy to discuss that with you at some point. Please let me know. If you have other questions along this line, make sure to drop those in the box. We'll be happy to discuss them. Question number three. Maybe. Maybe not. There we go. Are we allowed to wear pants? What about wearing pants in the assemblies? I believe this question stems from Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, in which Moses wrote, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to God. There was certainly a time in our culture when women wore dresses, men wore pants. And that was it. 
And as our culture began to change, there were some hanging on to this verse that would teach that it is a sin, and I believe there's some probably that still hold on to this, that it is a sin for women to wear pants, and certainly it's a sin if they do it when they come together to worship God with the saints. However, I do have a couple of problems with that. First of all, I'd like you to notice this reference at the bottom of the screen here. Where is this found? Old Testament. This is the old law. You remember the, the talk that Ron gave us this morning about the covenants as we thought about the Lord's Supper? Remember what he pointed out? We're not under the old covenant. We're not under the old law. There has been a change of law. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12 makes that abundantly clear. We have a new priest. We're not under Levitical priesthood. We're under the priesthood of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12, the Scripture says, For when the priesthood has changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. We are not under the old law. We are under the new law. We're under the new covenant. And when it comes to our dress... We need to go to the New Covenant and see what God expects of us there. At the same time, we learn from Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, "...as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them." We're not allowed to go pick and choose laws out from the Old Covenant that we're, that we're supposed to still follow. If we start picking and choosing out of the old law, what Paul says is we've got to go completely under the old law. And I'm not willing to do that. I want to be a New Testament Christian, not an Old Testament Jew. And so I'm not willing to pick out laws and start saying they apply to us. And I'm amazed at brethren who start trying to come up with rules about the laws under the Old Testament that still apply. Like this one says, it's an abomination to God. Oh, if you're an abomination to God, that just that has to be absolute. Well, go back. And read all the passages that talk about being an abomination to God. I think you'll find that if you eat catfish, you're an abomination to God. Uh, and I certainly don't want to live by that rule. Anybody else want to live by that one? I mean, if that's God's rule, we'll do it. But I don't think that's God's rule for us because we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant. However, if in some way it can ever be proven that this particular law does still apply to us today, I want you to notice what it does not say. It does not say, a woman shall not wear pants. It says, a woman shall not wear man's clothing. Well, what makes it man's clothing? God did not define what was man's clothing. Y'all seen the movies back then? It looked to me like all those people were wearing dresses. Have you seen that? They, they, they didn't dress like us at all. God did not define what is man's clothing, and He did not define what is woman's clothing. Who defines that then? That's our culture that defines that. If you go over to Scotland at some time in the past, men would wear skirts. I mean, I know they call them kilts, but they look like skirts to me. But don't do that here. That's, that's women's clothing. And here in our culture, no matter what it was in the past, women's clothing has now, it now includes... Pants, just as men's clothing does. I believe when we go to the New Covenant, there are basically three passages, three principles that we can learn to govern our clothing. The first, my battery must have died there. The first, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. We've already looked at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. The 1 Peter chapter 3, 
verses 3 and 4. The Scripture there says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Our clothing has to be something that doesn't point out our fame, our power, our wealth, or our sexuality. It's got to be something that demonstrates our inner man, the gentle and quiet spirit that we're supposed to have as Christians, as servants of God. Our dress must demonstrate that. A second passage that demonstrates the principle is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. As Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul said, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Depending on your translation there, it might say licentiousness, lasciviousness, or lewdness. That term describes that which expresses or arouses sexual feelings. This is where we find out that we've got to dress modestly. If we're dressing in a way that expresses or arouses sexual feelings, we're dressing incorrectly. We've got to follow this principle. Sensuality is a work of the flesh. And we must not let it be named among us, even in our dress. Finally, the third principle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Some translations say appearance, and I believe that's the thing that we need to note. A lot of people look at this verse and say, oh, it just says abstain from every form of evil, every kind of evil. But that word really does mean appearance, what looks like evil. If you are dressing in some way that makes it look like you are involved in sin, that's wrong. This is where we would point out that men ought not wear dresses. Because, brethren, if you're out wearing dresses, then it looks like you're involved in homosexuality. And so we need to keep that in mind. If a woman's pants fits within these three principles, then, sisters, you are allowed to wear them. If they're not about your sexuality or about your about demonstrating how rich and wealthy you are, if it's avoiding sensuality and sexual expression or sexual arousal, And if it doesn't appear like you're involved in evil, then by all means, wear whatever you want. Because that's all the Scripture really says about it. But what about the worship assembly? Brethren, my suggestion to you is these same three principles apply. Whether we're at home, at school, at work, or here. As long as we're not violating these three principles, that's it. Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 24 said that God is a spirit and we've got to worship Him in spirit and truth. That's what's important about worship. He didn't say anything about a worship dress code. And we've got to come to grips with that. And that's tough for me. Because I certainly am very sympathetic to the the concept that if you're going to worship God, you really ought to be putting forth your best, which means you ought to be dressing your best. And I'll just be honest with you. Boy, I, I do not like seeing guys wear jeans. I don't like seeing women wear jeans to worship. I don't like seeing all that. But you know what I have to realize? That is a personal matter of conscience. I certainly think people ought to think along the lines of what they're saying about worship and what they're saying about God when they'll dress up to go to a wedding, when they'll dress up to go to a funeral, when they'll dress up to go out on a date, but they don't give a single thought to how they dress when they come to worship God. I think people ought to think about that. But again, when I'm honest with myself and when I'm honest with you, all I can say is, That is a personal matter of conscience. And therefore, you won't ever get any sermons saying that you're going to hell for wearing jeans. I really wish you wouldn't, but that's a personal matter of conscience. And that's something that we've got to come to grips with. The Bible doesn't say. And therefore, as long as you're not violating these three principles, 
it's not a distraction to what's going on in our assembly, then wear what you want to wear. Romans chapter 14, I think, deals with these kind of matters. In Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and 6, Paul deals with some issues. He says, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for, for, for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. And I think in this very same situation we can say that there is one who dresses formally for worship, and there is one who dresses normally for worship. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. For the one who dresses formally does so for the Lord and gives thanks to Him. And the one who dresses normally does so and gives thanks to the Lord. That's our personal matter of conscience. But we need to be fully convinced that what we're doing is right. If you have any doubt about any of these things, don't do it. That's, that's the teaching of Romans chapter 14. These are our questions tonight. I hope the answers have been helpful. As I've said, if you think I've missed it on something, I'm more than happy to discuss it with you. I could be wrong on any number of things. And I'd love to hear from you what you see in the Scripture. And let's sit down and discuss those things and learn about how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God, how we ought to live, how we ought to serve Him. But let's remember, I don't have all the answers to the questions, but I know this does. And that's where we've always got to go back to, is back to the Word. It's not about what I think. It's not about what you think. It's not about what we would prefer. It's about what God has said. And whether we're dealing with women's issues like we did tonight, or men's issues, where we're dealing with the organization of the church, or the work of the church, or everything else, it's all got to come from right here. That's our guideline. Thank you again for joining us at the Franklin Church of Christ as we study God's Word. I hope the answers to these questions in this lesson have been helpful to you. Again, as I've said several times, I know that I could be wrong on any number of issues. If there's anything you think I missed, a Bible verse I've overlooked or a Bible teaching that I haven't taken into consideration, please feel free to call me at the office at 615-794-2359 or you can reach me through the church's website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Let's recap the questions and answers that you heard in this lesson. Question number one. Is a wife allowed to pray out loud in the presence of her husband at home? My answer was yes. Question number two. Are sisters allowed to ask and answer questions in a Bible class setting separate and apart from the assembly? My answer was yes. And question number three. Are women allowed to wear pants today? My answer was yes. Again, if you think I've missed it, feel free to contact me. Let's study God's Word on these issues. If you've been given this lesson, please feel free to go to our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com and download any number of lessons that we have available there. We have them in both outline and audio format and you are free to use them in any way you see fit to the glory of God and to the betterment of His people. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.